Father, there are a lot of things that challenge our faith today. And we are declaring we're going to believe for it. We believe for it. Birthed in this deep sense of faith and of your providence and your love and your watch care, the fact that you took so much trouble to restore this relationship that was lost between humans and, and God. And Father, we thank you that you, you took that time and we are just going to stand up and we're going to say we believe for it. Father, no matter what challenges there are in this room this morning, that you would help quicken that belief, that sense of faith and trust in you, the living God. Father, every conceivable challenge is in front of people here this morning. And we know that you are the answer to those, those issues. And I just pray, God, that you would quicken our faith as we have sung and we've worshipped you and as we've come into contact with you, the living God. And I just pray, God, that you, by your grace, would change our lives today. We're going to believe for it. And we thank you in advance because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Marriage, or in one context, marriage. Those of you who've seen that, marriage. That's what you heard, marriage. Okay, marriage. Whatever. Marriage, marriage. Just so confusing. So confusing. Now we all have friends who met in the seventh grade, dated through high school, got married the day after graduation, became grandparents at age thirty, and great grandparents at age forty-five. And I would say to Judy, we're going to never catch up. These couples seem to avoid all the craziness and confusion of the pursuit of dating and marriage. Then there are the rest of us who enter the marriage lottery later, wandering the dating wilderness through college years and on again, off again, heart hope and heartbreak. And, and of course, Lifetime and Hallmark make movies based on our life stories. Marriage, it's confusing, it's contradictory. It's crazy at times. All the while, we're bombarded with mixed messages from media, culture, friends, and especially parents. How do we make sense of it all? Then some experience a successful marriage. Others, not so much. Some countries in Europe just pretty much gave up on matrimony, largely. They just date, move in, live together, have and raise children all without bothering for the bond of marriage. It's confusing, isn't it? It's confusing. And dating has changed a lot, a lot. Speed dating, online dating, and of course the goal of marriage. In 2005, I did premarital counseling and performed a wedding for the very first couple that I'd ever met that met online. It worked. They're, they're still married. I, I think I do tie a pretty good knot, even if I do say. Um, I will say this, that I warranty any marriage I perform, I warranty the marriage. I don't guarantee. I warranty the marriage like a car. If it needs fixing, you can bring it back and we'll work on it, okay? That's how I handle marriages. I warranty marriages. 
And then came, a few years back now, the redefinition of marriage, decided by nine black robe judges overturning 4,000 years of precedent. I mean, dating and marriage were confusing enough. Now, marriage is totally redefined. Any two people, any two people, and now some jurisdictions allow any number of people, men, women, to marry as a group. It's called polyamory. The redefinition, the results have been disastrous. Marriage had been in trouble for a long time. And in my opinion, it's because of the sexual revolution that happened in the 60s and 70s and the failure of the Christian church to hold to biblical standards of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The strength of the institution began to crumble long before the redefinition of marriage arrived. And today we must, we must return to the original, the original. God invented marriage. What does he have to say about it? That's the question. Now, as we go through this topic today, can be a very painful topic for some. I would venture to guess that most of us here have been touched in some way as a child or as a spouse in some way at, as uh, at the recipient of the situation of divorce or remarriage or something. Um, all of us, many of us can identify with that. And what I want to say today, because I think it's very important that the church talk about what God's design for marriage was and what his allowances are for the breakup of marriages and those kinds of situations. Don't worry about where you were in your past. Let's say, let's look at the present, present, where you are today and the future. Where are we going forward? That's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I don't want people to get hung up on all the baggage of the past today. We're going to talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage. What does the, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Let's start with marriage. Good place to start. Marriage. We're going to start with marriage by God's design. By God's design. And you can have all these other designs. It, it doesn't count, okay? It's marriage by God's design. Genesis 2, 24 to 25 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This was the instituting of marriage, the institution that was created by God. <clears throat> now God spoke and all the worlds were created. God spoke and everything happened. God spoke and marriage came into being because of God speaking. God spoke it and because he speaks it, his word rules, not all these other things. It's God's word. Their rules. Chuck Swindoll, in Strike the Original Match years ago, used four words to describe this institution. Four words that come directly from this, this passage of Scripture. This is the process. The first is severance. Severance. A man shall leave his father and mother. Permanence shall cleave to his wife. Uniting, or uniting as one, shall become one flesh. And intimacy, both were naked and not ashamed. 
Now, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, this unique relationship of husband and wife, the marriage institution is used as an illustration of the relationship between God and his people, between Christ and his church. It is sacred and holy. This isn't just some kind of a human institution that we thought up. It's a picture of the holy matrimony between Jesus Christ and his church. It's sacred. It's holy. It's not to be trifled with. And whether it's the husband and wife or God and his people or Christ and the church, they're all instituted by God. This was started by, instituted, breathed out by God. By God. All three include severance, which is leaving the past, permanence, which is cleaving to the new relationship, unity and intimacy. He asked, what about today? What about today? Now, just so you know, I have a lot of quotes, and we're, we're going to cover a lot of information today. And if you, if you want to, I have most of this information on a handout. We have 20 copies. We can make more. Uh, if you want to grab one on your way out, if, if there aren't enough, we can email them to you or later or whatever. Because we'll, we're just going to cover a lot of material today. And um, sometimes I know I talk too much, and you get confused because I, that's okay. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff today. Hopefully, we'll stay together. Joy Davidman writes this. <clears throat> Once upon a time, the three parties to marriage were man, wife, and God. And of course, the state has a quite legitimate interest in marriage. It must protect children. It must define the rights and obligations of husbands and wives. But is there any reason why, when the state walks in at the, at the door, God must vanish out the window? Marriage can easily be both a mystical union of two creatures into one flesh and a civil contract. She addresses the issue that this is also a civil contract. We may have a marriage in a church, marriage uh, in a courthouse. Um, I know people that went to Las Vegas to get married. Um, it's a civil contract, but it's also marriage, man and woman coming together as one. Regardless of whether it was a civil ceremony or religious ceremony, Marriage is marriage. And it always has two. It has one man and one woman. Okay? And I'm not going to even get into the gender thing. That's, that's something that the Bible assumes. We're, we are assuming one man, one woman. Okay, let's just start there. I don't want to get off. <laughs> you can get me off on that. Okay, so let's look at divorce. We looked at marriage by God's creation. Let's look at divorce by God's concession. Divorce by God's concession. This was a question they had back in the day. They've had this question for a long time. And in Jesus' day, they did especially. Now, when we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, this particular passage followed in Matthew 5. And, and we're going to look at the Mark passage. We'll look at Matthew a little bit later. Uh, Mark 10. Mark 10, 2 through 12. Um, it says this, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus said, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Then he quotes Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate 
when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Here Jesus quotes from Genesis 2 and affirms the foundation of the institution of marriage by God. Say, God created marriage. And again, he says, it was created originally to be one man and one woman for life. That was the original design. Original design. And he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's by God's ordinance and his supernatural power that the two become one. And we're not given the authority to modify that ordinance. Jesus says marriage is a joining together of two individuals by God, and men should never try to mess with it. Well, as we know, there, were, there was divorce in, in Jesus' day and long before. So the Pharisees asked a question about the law because they go back into Deuteronomy. And they said, what was it that Moses said in the law? They want context here because they recognize that that divorce had happened since the beginning of creation. Deuteronomy 24 says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from the house, and if she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man. And her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again, after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. He said, do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. What is that all about? Now, if you ever want to know a lot of the um, tough, tough sayings in the Bible, there's a guy named F. F. Bruce. He's a scholar. And he wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. He also wrote the hard sayings of Paul and the hard sayings of the Old Testament. So if you want, I, and part of that I take from, from his quote, a lot of research, and he writes this, F.F. F. Bruce, in the hard sayings of Jesus, writes, this law forbidding a man who has divorced his wife to marry her again after she has lived with a second husband does not lay down the procedure for divorce. It assumes this procedure is already in being. So Jesus said, this is what's already happening. In Deuteronomy, he said it's already happening. He's not trying to give an excuse or a reason for divorce. They recognize that divorce was already in process, different places. Nowhere, he says, in the Old Testament law is there an explicit command about divorce procedure. But in this context, it is implied that to, to divorce a woman, a man had to make a written declaration that she was no longer his wife. He writes her bill of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. But we also know that elsewhere in the Old Testament, divorce is disparaged as something unworthy. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, Malachi 2.16. But in Deuteronomy, it was assumed that a man could divorce his wife and that he may do so on account of some indecency or some, something shamefully found in her. They say, and the, and the Pharisees, they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to find out things. There were some, I'm sure, that were curious about his teaching. And they said, what, what do they mean by indecency or unseemly, unseemliness, which justified a man divorcing his wife? In other words, he says, you can do this if you find something unseemly. 
Okay. Now, there were two primary, primary schools of thought at this point in Jesus' day when he was answering this question. First one is Rabbi Shammai. He said, a man was authorized to divorce his wife if he married her on the understanding that she was a virgin and then discovered she was not. That would be some indecency. So he married a woman. She was supposed to be a virgin. She was not. And then discovered that he had the right, quote, unquote, to divorce her. Now, how they determined the man's status, I don't know. This was a different type of world. Now, Rabbi Hillel was another one. He said, some indecency giving you the right to divorce your wife, could be anything which your husband found offensive. In other words, if she served up badly cooked food. Or one rabbi said if he found her less beautiful than some other woman. This was, this was not good. It was ridiculous. And it was against this background of theology and understanding that Jesus was invited to say what he thought. So you can imagine, they were trying to trap him and figure out, see if they can trap him in this question. They wanted to know what Moses commanded, and he answered what Moses permitted. What does Moses command? He said, this is what Moses permitted. And Jesus tells him it was for your hardness of heart that Moses allowed divorce. The hardness of heart. But he said from the beginning of creation. God made them female and male, male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united his wife, they will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus reminds them in the biblical account of the institution of marriage, the marriage law must conform with a purpose for which marriage was instituted by God. It was instituted to create a new unity of two persons. And there was no provision made for the dissolving of that unity. He he didn't make provision for that. Now, Jesus doesn't idealize marriage. He doesn't say that every marriage is made in heaven. He says marriage itself is made in heaven, that it is instituted by God to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The answer, in effect, is no. God put them together. Does this mean that the Bible forbids divorce for any reason? It's always the question. That's a, that's a very valid question. Let's look at divorce and remarriage, number three. Background. The New Testament church, our church, has been established by Jesus Christ to be salt and light. It has been given the responsibility to uphold biblical moral standards for society. We have moral standards we're to uphold. At the same time, we're to reach out to the needy, lost, and hurt persons whose lives have suffered damage and loss as a result of the failure to keep those same moral standards. That can be described as a relationship between law and grace. Law, simply put, says that this is what God requires of man. Grace says this is what God has done for man. It's the provision of Jesus Christ made for our sins because we can't keep the law perfectly. Law without grace is unbiblical. Grace without law is unbiblical. 
In Romans 3.20, it says, Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Law doesn't save us. Law gives us the knowledge of what sin is. Romans 3.23 and 24 speaks of God's grace. and says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. When it comes to the subject of divorce and remarriage, the biblical responsibility of the church is to take a moral stand against what has become an epidemic of divorce. We've seen it. God says in Malachi, I hate divorce. Can we have any less hatred for something that causes so much pain and suffering? Many can attest to the pain and suffering. At the same time, we are to extend compassion, love, and acceptance to those who have been through divorce or those whose lives have been harmed by divorce. These are not exclusionary roles. Jesus set standards of righteousness and morality, at the same time reached out to receive and forgive and restore those who had been hurt and damaged by their failure or someone else's failure to live righteously. We also are to have compassion for the sinner without sacrificing God's standard of righteousness. The tension will always be present with us. Condemning adultery, Jesus gave, forgave the adulteress at the same time because she repented and loved God. But then he denounced the lustful, loveless man who caused the sin. And one of the most controversial subjects in the church has been the subject of divorce and remarriage. It'd be far easy, easier for us to bury our heads in the sand, pretend it doesn't exist, hope we don't have to deal with a difficult issue. But to ignore a subject like this would be to renege on our responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. Our desire is to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God as workmen who do not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. So how do we, how do we go forward? Because of the corruption of sin in and among humanity, it produces hardness of heart. And because of that hardness, says God permitted divorce. We believe that marriages can be preserved, healed, and restored by the power of Jesus Christ, resident in each believer by the Holy Spirit. And over my lifetime, I've seen many, many, many marriages restored by the power of God. Unfortunately, Divorce still occurs today more than, than ever. Often it occurs against the desire of one of the partners. Often it occurs in spite of prayer, assistance, counsel, help of friends and family. Unfortunately, divorce occurs between two believers. It happens where biblical principles are either unknown, ignored, or openly violated. Now, in Bible-believing Christianity... There are several positions on divorce and remarriage, and while we may never totally agree on all the points, the purpose of this message is to state as clearly as possible the position of this pastor and his understanding of the Wesleyan Church regarding marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
A lot of research, a lot of books have been written about this, and today we're not going to be able to be totally exhaustive. But after a lot of study, I just want to simply state our conclusions regarding the Word of God. And God's Word is our standard. We're going to try to answer two questions, okay? Two questions, two key questions. When is divorce permissible? And when is it acceptable to remarry? When is divorce permissible? And when is it acceptable to remarry? Let's start with when is divorce permissible? This isn't according to law and legal. This is according to the biblical record, according to as we interpret the body, the, the Bible. If, if the divorce is not permissible by God, then remarriage is not permissible. If someone does not have biblical grounds for divorce, God does not recognize the divorce. Therefore, to marry again would, according to the Bible, be adultery. So when is it permissible? Number one, when marriage and divorce occurred prior to salvation. When marriage and divorce occurred prior to salvation. Many people have come out of the world and they've had different experiences and they were not regenerate. They didn't know Jesus and, and got divorced. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Greek term for new, kainos, means that which is a, a customer on news. Not new in time, but different nature. Different in nature. So, and there are many people I know that, that experienced a breakup of a marriage prior to salvation, and they, they came to Christ afterwards. New means a brand new, fresh creation, different than the old, a fresh start. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And I believe no matter what the circumstances or reason for the divorce, if it happened prior to being born again in salvation, a person now born again has a clean slate, a brand new start. Questions of whether a person once converted then backslidden, not living for the Lord, has a similar right, that, that's evaluated on an individual basis. That's a whole different thing. So when is divorce permissible? Number two. When one's mate is guilty of sexual immorality and is unwilling to repent and live faithfully with their marriage partner. In the Matthew 19 passage, we have the, the exception clause that says, some Pharisees came to test him. Is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read it? And he quotes Genesis 2 again, talks about them. They said, why then did Moses command a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? He said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was not that way from the beginning. And then this sentence, and it's very, very important that we understand. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Jesus himself gives this one circumstance where it is permissible to divorce one's mate. And that is when the spouse is guilty of immoral sexual conduct with another person and is unwilling to remain faithful to the innocent partner. The faithful partner then has the option to divorce and to remarry. Okay? Very obvious. Very obvious. And this includes any 
any illicit sexual activity, intimate sexual involvement with a person of the opposite sex, heterosexual infidelity, of the same sex, homosexual activity, or with children, pedophile behavior. And I believe if it's extreme enough, that also includes pornography. If someone is giving their lust and their affections to photographs and movies and fantasies, that's like committing adultery. Now, this is simply not just a case of a one-time act and one-time failing, but a lifestyle of immorality with a sustained unwillingness to repent. Very, very important. A lifestyle of immorality with a sustained unwillingness to repent, to return and renounce the sin. And I've counseled couples, worked them through this, and sometimes the, the one spouse is unwilling to repent. Then the exception clause comes in. You have a right for the divorce. Now, this is not automatic. We must always balance sin with the doctrine of forgiveness. And that's why it's crucial to seek biblical counsel before taking any action. So when is it permissible divorce? Number three, when one of the mates is an unbeliever and willfully and permanently deserts the believing spouse. Willfully and permanently deserts the believing spouse. Desertion. 1 Corinthians seven twelve to 15, it says, To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, she is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For if the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband, otherwise your children would be unclean. But as, as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in some such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. This is subject of desertion. Paul is addressing the problem of a, of a mixed marriage. One is a believer, one is an unbeliever. And he states that if the unbelieving partner chooses to remain with the believer, let him or her remain. Okay? But if the unbelieving one leaves, the Christian brother or sister is not under bondage or no longer bound to the unbeliever that left. This is not a case where the unbelieving spouse is forced out, but someone who willfully deserts and just leaves. Say, I'm done. Then the person that was left has the right to file the divorce, make it final, and remarry again. John Stott states that divorce was a divine concession to human weakness. What other sins are concessions to human weakness? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And divorce was a concession to human weakness. However, God's word teaches us that divine concession to human weakness is occasionally justified, allowing the Christian person that is divorced the right and freedom to remarry. Okay? Those are the three cases that we can find in Scripture set forth to remarry. Number one, when the marriage and divorce occurred prior to salvation. Two, when one's mate is guilty of sexual immorality and is unwilling to repent and live faithfully with their spouse. And when one of the mates 
willfully and permanently deserts the partner. Now, one further note of importance. If a person divorces his or her spouse for any reason other than scriptural reasons, I do not believe the person has a biblical right to remarry. To remarry again, or to marry again, would be to commit adultery. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Same would be for the man. The Greek word for commit adultery is moikotai, and grammatically, it is in the present indicative third person singular of the word moikeomai, meaning to commit adultery. The present indicative tense in Greek language is used for ongoing action. So it's not just a one-time act. It's an ongoing lifestyle of keeping on committing adultery. If there's no biblical basis, then it's a lifestyle of continuing sins. The question is, what do I do if I'm in a presently in an immoral situation? You know, I've talked about this in different settings, and people say, you know, I, what do I do? Are we supposed to, I, how can I make this right? Well, God is looking for repentance for sin if we've sinned. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God knows your heart. God has never failed to forgive someone who's truly repentant. Repentance means a change of mind, turning from sin to God. And when we ask for forgiveness, it says in Psalm 103, it says our sins are totally removed as far as the east is from the west. It's an incredible thing. Now, what happened in the church, unfortunately, is we made certain sins worse than others. And quickly... Divorce became the unpardonable sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. And no matter what the background, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short. Short means none of us can reach. None of us can reach that. And one of the things God must call us to do as a church is not live in judgmental, pointing fingers at people who have suffered different things. I mean, people have been victims of so many different types of sin by committing sin themselves or, or having parents that, that divorced and you were the recipient of that life or whatever it was. There, there are so many things that we experience. And we live in a fallen world. It's, it's critical that we not judge people and that we reach out to heal people. Our, our world, you, you know our world is so broken. Our world is just, it's a mess. We have broken people all over the place. And we have people here that have suffered tremendous brokenness of no fault of your own. And the church is here to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ so he can heal the brokenness. And so we do not stand on judgment, in judgment, if, if, if there, whenever I know that someone is going through marital issues and they're considering divorce, I ask, please, 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 
let's talk about it, let's pray, let's go through that. And sometimes God has allowed us to, to, to retrieve that marriage relationship and bring healing. Other times it hasn't. And it pains us when that happens. But let me just say this, okay? Some of you are long past this broken time of whatever that was or, or you, the time in your family life or whatever. You're living in the present, the future. Um, but I want, I want us to take some time. We're just going to take a few minutes this morning. I want us to pray for marriages, okay? I want to pray for your marriage. And it may not, you may not be married yet, but you're going to get married someday. I'm praying for your future marriage, okay? And so I'm going to ask if we can all just stand and grab the hand of your spouse or by faith the spouse is coming someday. And I'm going to just ask Judy to play something while we do this. And I want us to just stand and, and grab the hand of somebody next to you, whatever that is, might be your relative, friend, family. And let's just pray for marriages. God wants strong marriages. And God wants us to be a healing place of people who have experienced brokenness. And I just want to take some time to pray for all of you, present or future marriage. Father, we thank you that you created this institution of marriage. It's a holy matrimony, not to be taken lightly. In the original design, you did not design it to be broken. But because of humanity, there's brokenness. And we've seen broken marriages. And God, we, we repent of anything that we've come into contact with that we haven't worked to restore that brokenness in people around us that are dealing with hurt and pain. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, you'll open our eyes to brokenness around us and say, God, how can we pray for and work healing in the lives around us that are broken? Those that have suffered as parents divorced or those who've been divorced by a spouse, those that may have, may have taken the action of divorce without biblical grounds, and now, God, they're asking for forgiveness. God, you forgive all of us. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your grace, strengthen marriages, strengthen relationships. Father, there are some that are now looking forward to that time of marriage. I pray that you'll give them holiness and strength and wisdom as they move forward, looking for that, the person that you would have, that godly man or godly woman for them. And God, that you would build homes and families that are solid and strong. God, I thank you for the strong remarriages that you have wrought here in this congregation. God, there are people that have been married longer than us. People that have found restoration in a marriage. And God, they've stayed solid and secure in that. And I just thank you for that example of your grace and your restoration. And pray, Lord Jesus, we'd be transparent and we would be honest and open. And Father, that you would bring healing to our world. Father, the brokenness is all around us. And I pray that here in this church, you would bring healing. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you.